For those of you who don't know, I have a family. They're not here this morning. But if you, there we go, there they are. Uh, that was a couple of years ago. I was shaving my hair at that stage. Maybe I should go back to doing it. I'm not really sure. But I've been married 20 years to that beautiful lady. She is in New Zealand as we speak. Her best friend immigrated 16 years ago, and every once in a while they catch up at some place uh, in the world. And this year it's New Zealand. Um, I have two boys. The older one with the dark hair uh, is a hard worker. He's very passionate about cricket. I spent most of my day yesterday on the side of a cricket field uh, cheering him on. And then the younger one is very much a people's person. Uh, He loves being with people. As long as he's around people, he's very, very happy. And so that's my family if you kind of just want to know where it all fits together and how it fits together. Um, I could talk about them all day, but we're not here to talk about my family. But there's a reason I asked, I shared that context, because family is one of the analogies that we have in the Bible about how God relates to us. God is our Father, we are His children. Uh, and we're going to spend some time this morning talking around this. not the only analogy, there's the, the analogy of Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. There's the analogy of the body, where we all have a different part to play, but we come together and growing the kingdom of God. So there's many different pictures, different analogies that God has placed in His Word that helps us to relate to Him. Family is one of those, and that's, that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning unpacking, because that's what Jesus came to reveal. God as our Father was not something necessarily focused on in the Old Testament. It was something new. Jesus, when he came, he spoke about my father, my father, and he got into a lot of trouble with the Jewish people for that because from their perspective, God was holy. He was someone to be honored and worshiped and revered. He wasn't someone to be family with. Who did Jesus think he was? And in those times, it was considered blasphemous. And guess what? You could get stoned for blasphemy. So, so Jesus was very much out there when he was God as my father. But he'd only, he didn't only speak about God being his father. He spoke about God being our father. What makes a good dad? I don't know if you've thought too much about that. You might have seen a good father. You, think a little bit about who in your life have you seen being a great dad? Why? What, what, what do they do? Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it's your spouse who's a good dad. Maybe it's a friend that you've just seen interact with their kids, and you're like, man, that's a great dad. Hold that thought. Think a little bit about it, because I'm going to come back to it in a, in a little while. Jesus came to introduce this concept of fatherhood and allowing us to relate to him as a father. In Matthew 6, it's recorded, it says, Jesus speaking, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing on the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the thing that you have need of before you ask Him. Isn't that amazing? Before we go to our dad, He knows what what we're going to say. In the same manner, therefore pray, our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Something we've probably all memorized while we were at school. The most scandalous thing about that prayer is the fact that Jesus would refer to our Father instead of the most holy God who is up. And we know that He is. That is a part of His nature. But Jesus came to reveal a Father heart of God. In fact, as you go through most of that, those chapters in Matthew, you will find over and over and over again, Jesus comes back to this concept of our Father. The challenge that we have is for some of us, that's, that's a difficult thing. I don't know if I want to relate to God as my Father. Maybe because my Father let me down. Maybe my Father really hurt me. Maybe He, he didn't provide, He didn't protect, He didn't do the things that maybe a dad should do. So how do I deal with the fact that maybe my earthly dad let me down, but then I need to relate to God as my spiritual dad? How? How? Well, Jesus spoke about this. In Matthew 7 and in verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you if... Who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, listen to this, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So even, go back to that best dad that you could have remembered, or that you could think of. The best dad you could think of. The Bible describes him as evil. And what it says is, the best dad that you think of, our father in heaven is better than that that best dad. That's the kind of father we have. Because even though in the natural capacity, our motives are not always pure, towards our children. Sometimes we, we, we're short-tempered, we're tired, we're difficult. Sometimes the evilness that is in us, our flesh, comes out towards our children. But God never, ever has that. He is good 100%. He loves us completely, unconditionally. That's how good our fathers, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him. In fact, the language of the new covenant that Jesus came to establish is not just about a father. Because how much know there's a difference between a father and a daddy? <laughs> I've learned a lot being the parent of two boys. There are certain things that happen in my heart when my kids cry, Daddy, Daddy. It does something to me. And Jesus said, it's not just about a father, a father who's distant, a father who's over there, who kind of takes care of. No, it's about a daddy relationship. Romans 8 verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a Jewish word, translated directly, Daddy. If you go to Israel right now today, you will hear on the playground little boys and girls going, Abba, Abba, Abba. It's 
just means daddy, daddy, daddy. And so the Word of God says to us that we are adopted into His family so that we can cry out, Abba, Abba, Daddy. It's, it's an intimate relationship. It's, it's the relationship between a young child and their father. You don't generally hear a 25-year-old going, Daddy. It's, it's something that's special that happens between a young child and their father. <laughs> Why do we struggle with this concept? Because sometimes we do. Sometimes it's kind of difficult. But, but hold on. If I read, the God of the Old Testament was kind of harsh at times. He was sort of like out there. I mean, people would die. They'd do the wrong thing and they'd be struck. And, and I mean, just not one, like a bunch of people at different times. Just, whoa. So when we read that and, and, and we translate to this concept of daddy, it's like, how do those two things work? But what we need to understand is that when we look at God in that context, in that frame in the Old Testament, what we fail to realize is that they had an old covenant. That old covenant was between God and the Jewish nation. We know that Jesus came to establish a new covenant, the Bible says, with better promises and with a better relationship. And so what we need to do is we need to tap into what is our standing with God in the new covenant. Jesus came to do what we could never do under the law. In that old covenant, there was laws, and, and you had to live your life by those laws. But the truth of the matter is you never could. It was impossible. And that's why there was animal sacrifices, because when you missed the mark, when you failed to do all the laws, you had to come and sacrifice, and an animal had to take the punishment for your sin. That was the old covenant. But Jesus came to establish a new covenant. And one of the things he says in Matthew five seventeen, he said, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus came and lived out the fullness of that Old Testament law, that Old Covenant law, and He did it on our behalf. Because in our flesh, in our sinfulness, we don't have a chance of living out the fullness of that law. There's no way. The first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Look, I don't even get past the first one. Because how do I love God with all my heart? So Jesus came to fulfill the law on our behalf. When he cried out, it is finished, what was finished was the fact that he fulfilled everything that God had called him to do. He lived a life that was perfect on our behalf. When, when he hung on that cross, the, a great exchange took place. My sin, our sin, for his righteousness. He became the substitute for the judgment that should have fallen on us. And because of that, because God poured his judgment for our sin, our wrongdoing, because God is holy. The Bible is very clear. God is holy. And if he's holy, then there must be a punishment for the stuff that we've done wrong. But that punishment no longer falls on us. When we choose to believe in Jesus... The punishment 
that should have been ours fell on him at the cross. This great exchange took place. He took upon himself our sins so that we can take upon ourselves his righteousness. Something truly special, something truly different. He was the sacrificial lamb that took away the sins of the world. Hebrews 10 verse 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus was a sacrifice that paid once and for all for our sin. And you see, what that does is it changes the rules. No longer am I under the old covenant trying to do a whole lot of things. I'm now in a new covenant based on better promises, one where I can see God as my Abba, as my daddy. Not as a master, not as a, a slave driver, not as somebody who is waiting for me to do something wrong and then punish me, but, but God is my dad, my daddy. It, it's different. This new covenant that we have is a special place. The cross satisfied God's judgment so that we who believe in Jesus are free to receive his love. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, he shouted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know that was the first time he ever referred to God as my God? Why? Because he took our place. When he hung on that cross, he experienced the distance. He, he took upon himself the sin. And when he took upon himself that sin, he could no longer cry, Abba. It had to be my God from a distance. And so often, we struggle with this concept of God as our Father because we struggle with the fact that we're not perfect. But when we recognize the exchange that took place on that cross all those years ago, he was separated from God so that we never have to be. He took our place in part of that punishment, part of, part of him taking upon himself the sin of the world. God had to distance himself from that sin and he cried out, my God, so that we can cry out, Abba. So that we this morning can come to God, no matter what's happened this week, no matter what's happened today, we can this morning cry out, Daddy, we have a relationship. Our sin no longer separates us from God because of Jesus. And that's good news. Because today we're free to enjoy a loving relationship with our God. We're free because of our faith in Christ to enjoy the benefits of a dad who loves us and who cares us beyond what we could know and what we can understand. The Bible encourages us to come to God as a child. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, he called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How do children behave? 
often very different than what we behave. If you go up into those kids' classes now, you'll see something very different than what's happening here. If you're a parent or you've been around kids, you'll see just sometimes they just, they just say things the way they are. There's no pretension. There's no airs and graces. Kids are kids. They don't worry about things like we worry about. They don't worry about money, where things will come, food. Mom, I'm hungry. They expect us to have. That's how kids are. I remember one of the favorite stories, memories that I have of my oldest son when he was much younger. Uh, he really, I think it was coming up to Christmas, and he really had seen one of these sit-on cars. You know where you get for very small kids. They go at about two kilometers an hour, and they just stay electric, and they... And he'd seen one of these, and he wanted one of these. And, you know, kids, being kids, just, that's what I want. That's what I want. He would come over and over. I want, I want that car. And so Sheena saw this as an opportunity to help him to understand that we can't just get whatever we want, see. You know, we, we can't just see something and then expect to get it. So this was a conversation I heard in my home around that time. It went something like this. Mom, mom, can I get that car? Will you, will, will you get that car for me? And so Sheena said, but boy, you know that car costs a lot of money. And you know that money, we need to be able to work hard for the money that we receive. So we can't just take the money that's been hard-earned and just go and buy whatever we want. It's a good lesson. You know, kids need to learn those things. So it went quiet for a little bit as my son processed what was being said to him. And his next question was, Mom, do you work hard? Checkmate. <laughs> the obvious answer is, yes, son, I work hard. Well, then there's no problem, Mom. <laughs> he was four years old. <laughs> and I just sat in the back snickering as my wife in, tried to squeeze out of that one. But that's how kids are. They come with expectation. Hey, I don't want that. Can I? And that's what we're encouraged to do. We can come to God with our need. But we don't. Because we want to be all grown up and we want to be proper. But the, the Word of God says, come to Him as a child. And that's what children do. Mommy, I need this. Daddy, I need this. And they expect us. To provide. And as a father, God wants to provide for us as his children. He's a good father. The best. Far better than I will ever be. Far better than the best father that you thought of earlier. That's how good God is towards us. Can you imagine if, if on grade, in the build-up to grade one, a, a child comes to their parent and says, Dad, I, I, I recognize the cost of what lies ahead and you sending me to school. I, I understand that school nowadays is not cheap. And so, Dad, I, I'd like you to help me find a job so that I can bring par, my part to covering the costs of my education. Could, if you heard that, you'd be thinking, what sort of a warped fit? Well, what goes on there behind closed doors? Why would a kid even think about that? But you know, that's sometimes what we do with God. God, 
I need to bring my part. I need to, uh, as a father, how, how would, what, what would I feel if my son came to me and said, Dad, I need to get a job now. The cost of school fees is so high and I just need to contribute. No, as a father, I take pleasure in providing for my children. It's a joy for me when, when they come and ask, yes, absolutely, I'd love to be able to do that for you. And if I, being evil, as the Word of God says in my heart and my flesh sometimes, if I take pleasure in giving good things to my children, how much more will our good father take pleasure in giving good things to us? We don't have to feel like we've got to come and contribute. We can come to him with our need. And he takes delight in meeting that need. When you have young kids, sometimes in the middle of the night, you are woken up. Daddy, 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 daddy. Sometimes it's mommy, mommy, mommy. Which case, I'm quite happy. I sort of roll over and go back to sleep. But sometimes they have nightmares. They call, oh, I'm scared in the middle of the night, daddy. And you know what? That one word, <laughs> I could be sleeping. I jump up. I run through. What's wrong? This thing, this, that. We can pray. We can cuddle in the middle of the night until they go back to sleep. That's what a dad does. It's one word. That one word, daddy, Abba, Abba, daddy. He responds. It's the heart of a father to do that. And as a child, we can do that with our father. He loves it when we do that. We have access. We provide access to our kids. Have you ever been in one of those environments where maybe a dad, the boss of an environment, brings his kid to work? He can be having the most important meeting. This little four-year-old or five-year-old will come in uh, into his office. There's a big meeting, big deals, th big things happening. Walk, he'll say, sorry, guys, just, just hold on. What can I do for you? Dad, I'm thirsty. Oh, there's my fridge. Go through, grab a drink. The whole meeting stops. Everything st Why? Because the father prioritizes his son. We have access to our father anytime. The moment that we're there, he'll, yes, what can I do for you? We don't ever need to feel like I can't go to my dad. I also remember a time quite vividly, and, and certainly I did this to my parents, so, so, but at around about four, four years old, um, there was a disagreement in our home, and uh, we laid down some boundaries. We said, you can't do that, and it was at that stage that my eldest disappeared into his room, and he came back about 10 or 12 minutes later carrying a suitcase. He'd had enough of our rules. It was like, if that's how it's going to be, I'm leaving home. He packed his bag. And off he went. And as a dad, what do you do? You can't change the rules. <laughs> but you know, I never opened the gate and pushed him out onto the street and said goodbye, have a nice life. Why? I loved him too much. Now it was okay, I let him walk down to the gate. And then he stood there for a few minutes wondering how on earth he was going to leave home if he couldn't get past the gate. 
And about 20 minutes later, he came back up and we had a chance to have a conversation about the fact that there are certain rules that he needs to abide by. And that's how it works in the house. But you know what? I would never, even if he'd started to climb up and over that gate, I would have been there to make sure that he was protected, that he was safe and cared for. Because that's my heart as a father. And sometimes we get angry with God. We're like my four-year-old with God. Let's just be real honest. God, if that's how it's going to be, I don't know if I want to be your child. And God is okay with that. He's like, it's okay. Just like I did with my little boy, I let him walk down to the gate. And sometimes we just go for a walk by ourselves and then we realize, okay, God, <laughs> it's kind of scary out here without you. And, and when we come back, did, did I... Did I reprimand my son? Did I say to him, well, you can't come back. You've left. Of course not. Come, boy. <laughs> let's sit down. Let's talk. And that's sometimes what God does with us. Even though we've had a tough conversation with him, he's still there with open arms. It reminds me of that story that Jesus told in Luke 15. The son was a little bit older. He wasn't four. But he pretty much did the same thing. He asked for his inheritance, which was a completely scandalous thing to do. I mean, talk about dissing your dad. That, that was the ultimate diss in that environment. You, you just don't do stuff like that. But his dad gave him his, he went away, he wasted it. And one day he comes to his senses because he's starving. Let me just, let me put that out. He didn't come to his senses because he had remorse. It wasn't like, oh, he came to his senses because I was hungry. And what does he do? He, he says, you know what? I need to go back because there's provision in my father's house. He was going back for the provision, for the food, for the bread, because he was starving. And so what he says is, he says, I know I can't go back as a son because what I've done, it's, ooh. It's too bad. My dad will never take me back. But what I'll do is I'll go back as a servant. I'll go back and I'll work because at least then I'm not going to die of starvation. And it's interesting in verse 18, it says, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Wow, I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy. How often do we feel at times, I'm no longer worthy? God, do you, God knows everything. I mean, he knows what we did. He, he's seen our hearts. He's seen the stuff. And we become just like that prodigal son. Because when we come to our senses, when we get to a place of, oh, I've missed it. I, oh, this is not working out. We kind of do the same thing. We, we come to, to our father and we say, I'll just work for you. Just, just let me back in the house. I understand there's no chance of us ever having this close and intimate relationship ever again. Because I'm not worthy. But how did that dad respond? And Jesus was very clear. In this parable, the father represents our father. 
In verse 20, it says, And he arose, the son, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Wow, still a long way off. I wonder how often the father had stood there waiting, watching, scanning the horizon. How often? How often? And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. How did the dad respond? Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, his dad just totally ignored what he said. Did you see that? His dad did not respond to what the son said. What did the dad do? He said, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now, all of those things are symbolic of that son being restored back into the family. The robe, the ring, the sandals, all very significant in that culture around the fact that this son has been totally restored to the family. And so often we stay away from our father because we expect that when we come back to him, he's not going to accept us. There's going to be yeah, you can come here, you can be a servant, but you'll, you'll never be a child again. You'll never be able to call me Abba again. And yet Jesus told the story because he said, you need to know what my father is like. And so this morning, we have an opportunity to be able to evaluate our relationship with God. Are we relating to him as, as a servant? Are we here to serve him and try and earn and try and... Or are we here simply as a son, as a child, who can come with our need this morning and just come and say, Daddy, here I am. 